Welcome to Faith Bible Church's Midweek in the Word podcast, where we are together seeking to become better readers, hearers, and doers of the Word each week. Hello and welcome to Midweek in the Word. Thanks for joining us for another episode on the podcast. Um, If you're new to the podcast or you've been a long-term listener, I am Brad Myers, Faith Bible Church's Adult Ministries Pastor, and we're thrilled to have you this week joining us for the podcast. I'm also joined in the studio by Pastor Tom, our preaching pastor, uh, which is a voice that odds are you're very familiar with hearing on the podcast. Uh, Tom, welcome to the podcast this week. Thanks, Brad. It's good to be here this uh, early in September. Yeah. yeah. It's weather's weather's given us a bit of a reprieve from the heat, which is nice, and we're looking forward to that as the fall comes yet this this fall. Um, okay, so so if you're new to the podcast or, or you haven't been with us, let me just let me just bring you up to speed because over the course of the last year, Tom's been preaching through the entire Bible uh, in a series he's calling Route 66: Snapshots from Genesis to Revelation. And so we're thrilled that you're on board and you're joining us for that. But what Tom's been doing is studying major characters uh, through. The, the story of the Bible and following those characters along and how they tell the story of redemption that God is telling through Scripture. And so this this last Sunday, we want to come back to a bit of what you talked about, Tom. Uh, we want to bring people back up to speed, remind them of what the message was on, because you were talking about the person of Nehemiah from the book, Nehemiah, primarily the first three chapters. Yeah. And over the course of this series, we've been asking three big questions. What are we learning about God? What are we learning about ourselves? And how do these characters and stories point us to the person of of Christ. So let's go back through those and try to refresh for our listeners a bit. What did we learn about God on Sunday from the life of Nehemiah? Well, right, right out of the gate in Nehemiah, you realize that uh, the unseen hand of God, the sovereignty of God, not only uh, moved a, a pagan king, but he also moved a man well-positioned who mm-hmm. should have said no to the mission, to, to stir his heart to go back. So I think you just see the faithful outworking of God in his promise and plan uh, again, uh, not hindered by the circumstances of history. Hmm. Amen to that. Um, secondarily, what did it reveal about mankind, about ourselves? Well, again, we see how stubborn the human heart is and how self-serving. Hmm. But then we also realize that, that man, properly challenged, will follow uh, God's leader when hmm. the time comes. So man needs someone to set the pace for him. Hmm. Yeah, Nehemiah was the man at the right time appointed by God. I love how you highlighted that idea of Nehemiah, the hand of his God was upon him. Uh, Really important to remember and undeniably. Finally, how did it point us to the person and work of Christ? Well, I I think more from it raises that question, uh, will, will there ever be one who has no personal sin to confess and who would still be willing to leave his royal splendor and to come into our mess? Uh, the, the mess we've made with our sins and all, and to rebuild broken lives. Is, is there mm. yet one coming? And obviously we know it's the Christ who is promised. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, thank you for that message on Sunday. I know many found it uh, instructive and have shared that with me, so I appreciate the effort you put into that. Now, this week on the podcast, I, I am pleased to announce that we are addressing our first listener-related question. So we want to say thank you for sending those in. A few weeks ago, I received a question via email that went something like this. How do we know whether some oft-quoted verses are applicable to all or are only applied to particular 
particular people and times. And specifically, the listener mentioned verses like Jeremiah 29.11, which probably many know, and 2 Chronicles 7.14, uh, among other examples. So we may talk about other examples, but we want to address those specifically. And this is a great question. And because it's so good, and I, I thought it would take us more than a few minutes to address, I wanted to dedicate a whole episode to it. So we waited a couple of weeks, um, but we're going to address it this week on the podcast, because I'm sure that this listener is not the only one that is asking these sorts of questions. So, so Tom, we're going to take a crack at this right. on the podcast this week, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I have an idea where the listener is going, where, where they're wanting to have the question resolved, but I want to make sure to, to avoid misunderstanding that we, that we set the stage a bit to this question. So before we kind of get to the exact question, I just want to ask the question, is all the Bible applicable to us today? All the scriptures are applicable to us today, but I, I think you'll, you'll probably hear me say it. Some, some things are lessons by principle, and others are by promise. And uh, so, you know, I, just, I, th- I think 2 Timothy 3.16, all mm-hmm. Scripture is God breathes the breath of God. His breath is always fresh. It's all profitable for doctrine, proof, correction, training, and righteousness. Um, and then, you know, 1 Corinthians 10, it says in these things, it's a negative. These things happen to them as an example so that mm-hmm. we not sin as they sinned. Uh, Romans 15 it says that we find endurance and encouragement from the scriptures by the stories written from the past. So, yeah, yeah it's all applicable to us if interpreted rightly. Yeah. So, so maybe the more the more helpful way to think would be in terms of in what way are different passages applicable to us today, or are all passages applicable in the same way to your principle versus command versus story kind of idea, which is a little bit of the literary genres yeah. that we've tended yeah. to talk about on the podcast as well. Uh, but let's try and dive into this a little bit more. So asking the question, how are different passages applicable to us? Does does a passage's location in the Bible or its literary style or genre impact how a particular verse is applied to our lives? Well, my daughter-in-law is one of uh, Lincoln's leading uh, realtors. Sorry, Jared. But uh, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, she would say location, location, location. Yeah. You know, we live in an old farmhouse on South Street. It would be worth $100,000 more if it was in country club. Right. Well, it, it, the scripture, you know, the first three principles of interpreting scripture is context, context, context. Yeah. So, yes, it, it does matter where it is located and to whom it is spoken to begin with. Those, those are probably the two first questions. Where do I find it? There's a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There are two covenants, and there, there's a distinction there. And then to whom is he speaking? Hmm. So you've got Old Testament people of the national identity of God, yeah. the, the nation Israel primarily, and you've got New Testament, the people yeah. of the church after the, at the creation of the church by, by Christ, yeah. different categories that we have to consider. Yeah. How about literary genre? I mean, we've spoken to this a bit in the past, but how does the literary genre affect how applicable or in what way a passage is applicable to us? Well, you've got you've got the books of the law, and certainly you're going to read those in a with a particular filter. Uh, a lot of times, uh, you're you're dealing with uh, well, a case in point. Uh, my Sunday afternoon Bible study, we're working on the book of Proverbs, hmm. and I'm trying to help the twenty somethings understand the difference again between a principle and a promise, yeah. uh, and, and where it is. So, so is it an epistle that is written? I mean, all of those things tell us how to read what we're reading before we draw our application. Uh, because we like the straight line. Right. You know, we just want to go read the text. What am I supposed to do? 
But we have to ask the question again is like, why did he say it this way in this place at this time and to these people? If we, mm. if we can think through that, then we're, we're start on the right path before we make our interpretation. Okay. So as we find ourselves in a particular book, in a particular passage, reading through the Bible or reading from a devotional or whatever case we might find ourselves in, we've got to take, we've got to take stock of where is this found in the overall redemptive history plan of Scripture and in what style of literature is yeah. this written? Are there other factors that we really need to take into consideration when trying to figure out how to apply something in Scripture to our lives? Well, the, probably the, the more difficult challenge, and we can never be absolutely certain unless it's declared in the text, but what is the author's intended meaning? Mm-hmm. I mean, he, uh, you know, he had a message he was trying to get through. So we have to do that discipline. And then, you know, part of that is then, and the first people to hear it, the ones he wrote to or spoke to, what did they think he meant when he said mm-hmm. it? So if we start there, uh, then, then, then we can move toward our time and read it, uh, you know, in light of where we are today. But again, it is probably an application at that point rather than an interpretation that we're coming to. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you're, you're going the exact direction that I want to go with this because I, I want us to walk through it a bit because how do we go about discerning if one of these things, whether it be, to your point, the, the context or the literary style or, you know, where something is found in the Bible is, is in play. So how do we go about discerning if one of these things is true of the passage we're reading in the Bible? Yeah, I, my my big concern when I answer that is I don't want to discourage anybody from reading the Bible yeah. for themselves. I don't yeah. want to do talk about well, you know, if you don't jump through this hoop and go around that turn and all, you'll never understand the Scripture. So yeah. you can read it because it's written very simply, very plainly. We can teach it to preschoolers. We can teach it to elementary, a high school student can buy a Bible and get yeah. saved. All that being said, uh, understanding the big picture is the most helpful step. There, mm. there is a thread between Genesis and Revelation, and there is, there is a movement that's taking place. So just being able to set back and look at the text I'm in and where it flows in the big picture is really a, an essential starting point. Hmm. And and I think we've mentioned it in the past in the podcast. It's one of those things where the more you read, the more you become familiar with that yeah. story, the easier this process becomes. Yeah. So it's not it's not just a, a habit or something for those that are formally trained. Yeah. It's really something that you can grow in the more you read. Though obviously formal training, there's a reason yeah. <laughs> we go to school. Yeah. There's a reason there's teachers in the church. Um, but I, I really think that's a good encouragement, uh, a reminder to our to our people. Um, the other thing that I know you've mentioned to me in the past is that reminder to read it amongst the people of God with yes. other voices. If, if you're the only one yeah. coming from your take on it, probably <laughs> yeah. you're, you're out in left field somewhere. Yeah. So undeniable, good encouragement uh, for our people. So, so this seems a little bit philosophical probably to our listeners. So let's, let's try and get more practical. And I want to walk through the passages that the listener highlighted specifically to give us some examples of how we would walk through um, probably the coma process uh, for you on this. So, so I'm going to go first to Jeremiah 29, 11. I expect it's a familiar passage to many of our listeners. Um, and, and the passage specifically, I'm going to back up and I'm going to read 10 because 10 comes right before it. So people kind of understand what's going on. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah 29, 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Really relevant in light of Nehemiah <laughs> recently, right? <laughs> yes, and is. then this verse, which I'm sure many have seen on walls and all over the place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans 
stands for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah 29, 11. Can you walk us through how we would study this passage to arrive at its present day application for our lives? Well, yeah, and it's interesting how many times this shows up on a on a graduation card or exactly. a note. I mean, it's, it's lifted out. You, you stopped at 11, but I, I would also read 12. Again, context is, yep. is the neighbor that lives on both sides of this. It's a, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you. So yeah, the, yeah. the first thing you would do is say, who's this Jeremiah? Yeah. And, and to whom is he speaking? And so you, you would put it in the context when God says, I know the plans I have for you. Who's the you? Who's, you? Who, who's, yeah. who's the target? Well, he's, he's writing to those that he is appealing to. If you would repent, he won't remove. But if you're not going to repent, then his love for you is going to remove you from the land. It's going to put you in a foreign land as exiles for 70 years. And then having gotten to your heart, he'll bring you back. I know the plans I have for you. The discipline you're about to undergo for 70 years is because I have a bigger plan for you, but between here and there, that's the scary part we don't want to read in. So uh, he promises again, why, why does he say, if you will seek me? Well, it, he's taken them out of the land. He promised to meet them there in Jerusalem at the temple. He would hear their prayers, but boy, they're going to be hundreds of miles removed. Mm-hmm. So how am I going to find the Lord? Well, don't worry. You're in a, in a far land place, even under discipline. When you seek me there, you'll find me there, and mm-hmm. then I'll bring you back. So again, it's the, it's the flow of the story that helps us understand how do I interpret that particular verse. Okay, so if I may address some of the specific points you made earlier, we have to remember that we find ourselves in Israel's history. Yeah. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah is, is prophesying judgment yeah. on the people of Israel for their rebellion against God. So we're in a prophetic book that's primarily going to be judgment for people's failure to obey him. And that's part of what's going on, though Jeremiah obviously offers hope as well in this passage. And he's speaking specifically to the people of God in relationship to the covenant that he gave them way back earlier with Moses before into the promised land, saying, you've rebelled against that covenant, and I promised you I would remove you from the land if you continued to do that. So we see a fulfillment of a promise God made earlier in Scripture speaking to Israel. So that's that's the who, that's yeah. the where. Um, how would we then move then to a current day application for us? Well, then we would, we would ask the question, uh, are, who are the people of God today? Yeah. And I know the plans I have for you. Is it possible that God has a personal sovereign plan and purpose for me? And when I go through hard times, can I legitimately say that his plans are for my welfare? And, and as he says here, and not for evil, because when hard times come, we immediately think God's angry at us. We ask that question, is Mm -hmm. he disciplining us? Well, the principle of God's love is that those whom he loves, he disciplines like a father, the Mm -hmm. son that he loves. So Mm -hmm. the answer could be, yeah, I'm going through hard times because God's trying to get my attention. So the, 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 the road to the application is I have a sovereign God who knows and cares for me personally. Mm. And whatever comes into my life is according to a purpose to accomplish his best for me mm. in it. So I, I can take from the text 
and not say, well, this is a promise made directly to me, but it's the principle of God's faithfulness to his people. Mm-hmm. And But I, I, at the same time, I, I can't ignore the fact that his promise of care for his people involves discipline when his people are rebellious. Yeah. So there, yeah. I have to look at it from both sides, not only the promise, but the promise of his love that intervenes when I need it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I really like how you walked through that, because I, I think it's helpful when you're looking at this passage in particular, you stepped back and you said, what was the message to them then? What was the message to the Israelites? And then what principle does that develop? And as you developed it into a principle of, of God's sovereignty and care for his yeah. people, the the 70 years aspect falls away. You know, the, the restoration of the specific land aspect yeah. falls yeah. away. And so we lose some of those specific details as you move it to the principle level. Level, but yeah. that principle of God's character and who He is and how He responds to go. His people carries forward to the New Testament. I think that's really helpful, especially when we're in the Old Testament, which, frankly, that's yeah. that's more yeah. the one we struggle with since we're living yeah. in the New Testament era. Okay, so so what would then be some examples of missteps on a passage like this when interpreting Jeremiah twenty nine eleven? Well, I think just too quickly quoting it to someone without without asking the question, what what is your circumstance? What's your situation? Mm-hmm. And, and, and where do we see or or hear the voice in the hand of God in this? Yeah. So we just want to immediately just kind of, you know, tattoo it to the back of our hand right. and remind ourselves that God's got a great plan for my life without asking the question, uh, how do I interpret my present situation before I just apply it. So I think it's just, uh, it, it's meant to encourage, but sometimes I think that it misdirects. Mm. It, it's okay to step back and say, is, is God speaking to me? And yeah. so like, like my friend who after four years of, of legal turmoil looks out his sunroof going across the Platte River and say, you wanted a word with me? <laughs> so uh, that's where it applies. Yeah. Once you say, yes, God is speaking, okay, now what does he want to say? Yeah. So I think it starts in that real yeah, when we move too quickly, we miss that. Yeah. We don't mean to imply that somebody's yeah. under the judgment of God, but that's yeah. exactly what was going on in that's Jeremiah right. 29. Very good. So hopefully that's helpful to you listeners. I also want to address, as another example, a very, very common passage that you hear quoted, Second Chronicles 7.14. And this is the other one that the listener brought up with a question specifically. So I'm going to read the individual verse, Tom, and then let you do some of the contextual <laughs> leanings on this one. Um, so you, you're probably familiar with this passage, listener. But Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. So, Tom, same question I asked before. Could you walk us through how we would study a passage like this and arrive at its present-day application? Well, we would, we would go right back again uh, to its immediate context. What, what is taking place here? And what has taken place here is for the first time, God has established a place on earth where he will meet permanently with his people called mm-hmm. the temple. Mm-hmm. And it's in the dedication prayer of the temple that he says, and if my people who are called by my name, and it's, it's a reminder of God's faithfulness to a faithless people. Right now, everything's mm-hmm. going well, yeah. but he is warning them that there is coming in the future a time when, when he will have discipline them. And the discipline, so we're, we're tying the Jeremiah story back together. At, at this point, Solomon is speaking futuristically in that time when the Jeremiah yeah. moment happens. If you 
call on me, I'll heal your land. So again, to the nation of Israel, is a, so who is he promising to? To the people of Israel. What is he promising them? That he will heal. What does that mean? Well, there's a brokenness. There's something's mm. gone bad. So what's gone bad? Well, the people have rebelled against the Lord. So you start there again, saying, to whom was the promise made? And again, is it in the Old Testament or the New Testament? The promises of God uh, in the Old Testament misread, sort of uh, fuel the health and wealth, you know, faith promise preaching. It's yeah. like, well, God has only good intentions for us. And so he obviously wants. And I think the second is that it is the land, what land? The land of Israel, the land of yeah. the promise. Is it in the Old Testament, living in the land with God's blessing on their prosperity is a testimony to God's faithfulness and their faithfulness to him. Mm. Uh, so we, we abuse it when we build a bridge and go immediately and say, well, God has a new land he wants to heal. He wants to heal our nation. So we, we jump we jump too quickly to the application mm. and we make ourselves the new Israel, as mm. it were. Okay, so very, very similar to the last one when you're talking about yeah. you're moving from the details to the principle level. Yeah. And when you get to the principle level, some of those specific aspects, again, fall away. What people yeah. are we talking to? The people of Israel. Not necessarily a one-to-one with the people yeah. of God today in the church. What land are we talking about? Well, we're talking about the physical land that was part of the promise to Abraham, that was part of the promise in the covenants, the, the blessings and curses, and the way this was all laid out. Okay, so then as you arise out of that, what becomes the principle that then we can move to our situation today? Well, I think the principle, again, is that the blessing on the people of God comes via the obedience of the people of God. There's a, there's a sense that those who trust in the Lord, seek the Lord, call out to the Lord, know that He yeah. does hear, He does answer. In our case, you know, we... We tend to think of it in terms of political. I, say, I think the corrective is if you keep reading it, it says, As for you, if you walk before me as David your father walked, according to all that I commanded, and you keep my statute and my rules as I covenanted with David your father, you shall not lack a man to rule Israel, you know, they're, they're talking about a king. We don't want a king. You know? <laughs> <There> <laughs> we, you go. We, we want to vote every four years. Yeah. So, uh, again, but we, we can be certain of this, that it is not God's will that, that whatever nation you're in live in disarray and in chaos. Yeah. But the answer to that is the prayer of godly people. The evidence of it is not necessarily seen in the political, but it is the peace that God brings into the life of those who trust him, even in the midst of adverse times. Mm. That's very, very good. I think that's helpful to remember for us as well as we think it through. And and to, to, to be clear, you know, we've said in other, there's other places in the scripture that yeah. clearly command us to pray for our leaders. It's yes. not as if praying for your nation or your leaders is a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Just maybe right message, wrong text yeah. would be the appropriate way to think about it. Um, so on that theme, what would be some examples of missteps? You've already spoken to it a bit, but missteps on interpreting this text. Well, some of the some of the missteps that go are again immediately to make this the political rallying text, mm-hmm. uh, and and it and it happens every every four years. We we immediately start saying that uh, America is in a bad way. We're in, we're in bad shape, and all we have to do is pray, and God will heal our land again replacing the promise to the nation of Israel. God specifically worked with a people, a covenant people, in relationship to Israel. He still has a plan for that land and that nation. Mm -hmm. 
But it doesn't mean that God doesn't have a purpose for America. But to say directly that what we need to do is get all God's people to pray, then all of a sudden we're going to see a prosperous nation again. Uh, That's drawing the line. That's replacing. My dad was was a great lover of prophetic studies. Even in the last days of his life, he he said, the unnerving part is that, quite honestly, I don't find America in biblical prophecy. There's all mm-hmm. these other great nations, and America isn't one of them. He goes, what does that mean? You know, what it means is that God is still going to work out his purposes, but America is not the new Israel. Mm-hmm. God still has his chosen people, but God cares about America. He yeah. cares about you know Ethiopia. He, he, he cares about Kenya. The godly people ask the Lord for intervention, for his glory in those situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a bit of a a painful irony to thinking that through. When you think in in biblical terms, we've talked about the idea of different themes that run through Scripture. Every nation aside from Israel is a lot closer to Babylon than it is to Israel (laughs) and the nation of God, unfortunately. Very true. Well... That's that's basically it for the discussion. I do hope it's helpful to our listeners. If I if I can attempt to summarize some of our discussion, um, it's remember as you're reading, particularly through Old Testament texts, as you're reading, remember to ask who was it written to originally? What yeah. was the message to them originally? What was going on in the context of a particular passage? And as you begin trying to figure out what the principle is that's at play, what the character of God aspect that's at play, uh, some of those details which we really latch on to that we maybe like some aspects of to fall away when it becomes a principle level. And so we can't guarantee that God will respond to his people in exactly the same way. We're not going to be exiled to some other land for 70 years. That was a plan for Israel and what he had promised to them. But the, on a principle level, God's character is unchanged. The people of God, by and large, our sinful hearts are unchanged. You know, the, the truth of the gospel comes in the person and work of Christ. The three questions that you work through in every message Those sort of level of principles are always, always appropriate and apply to all people through all times. And then we can latch on to something that's applicable to us today in Lincoln, Nebraska in the 21st century. Any additional thoughts to add to this, Tom? Well, that, the only one, and you, you already mentioned it, is that third step. Uh, Jeremiah 29 and Second Chronicles 7 and other texts, they need to ask us the question, how does this point us to Christ? Yeah. And so, uh, again, as we take that promise, is where is our hope? And, of course, we're looking backwards through the cross at these texts. Mm. They were looking forward to the cross from those texts. And so that would be my encouragement is say, is where is our hope? Ultimately, our hope is not in politics. It's not in my prosperity, in my home or in my land. My hope is in the person of Jesus. How does this how does this fuel my passion for the coming Christ? Hmm. Very good. Well, listeners, we hope that was helpful. And if there are any follow-up questions to that, please feel free to send them our direction. We'd love to address them. We know we covered a lot of ground in a little bit of time on this one. So keep those questions coming. We want to keep coming back to what would be helpful in your biblical interpretation. But we also need to look forward, Tom, because you've got another message coming this Sunday. You've got another character in the biblical story. You've got the prophet Haggai coming this Sunday. So 
What are you looking forward to preaching on from his life? Well, uh, Haggai is the, is the tenth of the twelve, as they call it, of the twelve minor prophets, not because they're unimportant, they're just smaller. And I'm really excited about it because almost everybody that is hearing the message Sunday will not have any idea who Haggai is. <laughs> there you go. Those <laughs> so, minor prophets, they, they, right? I tell you what. And all these others, they've been coming in with this preconceived idea, and then I mess it up with the teaching. But this <laughs> there, one, there's there like, go. okay, I get a blank slate. <laughs> yeah, good deal. How about interpretive questions? What are you wrestling with from this story? In this one, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make certain that I'm not reading it inappropriately. It seems so incredibly timely mm. as, as we are rebuilding, reestablishing, re, reorienting the church. And just to be blunt, uh, some people have found out over the last six months that church is just one other activity that's optional on their mm. calendar. And, and so some people are choosing, perhaps I'm not going to re-engage with the fellowship of the body on the level I did before. Maybe I'm not mm. going to use my gifts on the same level. Maybe I'm not going to get my resources on the same. I mean, it's just all that. And, I'm, and so the interpretive question, I want to be sure that the bridge is relevant and clear. Is it, is it accurate that, that the blessing of the Lord follows mm. first things first? Hmm. Yeah, speaking to that, that we endeavor to do the exact same process yeah. that we're trying to encourage our listeners yes. to do, and it's a challenge every week yeah. as, as we prepare messages as well. Uh, finally, how can we prepare our hearts for the message on Sunday? Well, the, the, sin, the sin of Haggai is the sin of apathy. Hmm. And so I think the preparation is, Lord, just, just give me a heart that is sensitive to hear your voice. Mm-hmm. If you need to stir me, if you need to wake me up a little bit, you know, do so. I'm, I'm ready to do that. So it's mostly come with a prepared heart to be awakened to the, the voice of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, that's it for this week's episode, listeners. Thanks again for joining us. I do want to mention one thing that maybe you're aware of or maybe you're not, and that is on September 20th, we have a outdoor service planned. We've got a One Faith event. If you were with us last year, you have an idea what that'll look like, uh, though I guarantee you it will look a little bit different this year. So if you haven't seen information on that, take a look at your faith news. Check out our website for more information. And please do RSVP. Since a meal will be a part of that, we'd love to know how many people are coming so we don't have extra or too little food uh, come September 20th. So let us know if you'd like to join us. If you're following along in the weekly reading, uh, just know that as Tom prepares to preach on Haggai, he's going to be focusing in on the first and second chapters. So take the time to read through those in preparation for the message. And as always, like I mentioned, we, we'd love to address more of your questions. So send those our direction. Keep them coming. We'd love to address them as they come up in your reading. Just lastly, know we'll be praying for you, praying for your preparation of your heart as you get ready for the message this week, and we hope you join us again next week for Midweek in the Word. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. As you're reading this week, be encouraged by the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the Word of Truth.